Hold on. Well done. Um, all right. So this is going to be a little different than normal. Uh, if you have your Bibles, open them to Ruth. <laughs> it's as simple as that. Um, and if you want to go ahead and jump around as I put them up on the screen, you can look at them to make sure I'm actually within context. Or you can trust me. It's up to you. I know, Mike. Hey, that's why I put them on there, Mike, because I know you're going to be sitting there. Is that really what it says? Let me double check. Um, So I I do appreciate that you do that, actually. But, yeah, so, yeah, I'm not going to do what I normally do, or we'll do a few verses, um, because this is really just a conclusion of the Book of Ruth. These are themes that I've found in the Book of Ruth, things that we've gone through in the Book of Ruth, that will help us encourage us as we go on to the next book, which is going to be 1 John. Um, so, I'm, again, I'm doing something in my mind is almost heretical by not going through specific verses. <laughs> but every once in a while, it's got to be done, right? So um, let's just get on to the final application points of Ruth and, and be blessed and encouraged. Alrighty. so the first one is providence. A strong theme we have seen within the book of Ruth involves the providence of God. In the text, we have witnessed God moving within the lives of these individuals. He has done much in the text, and from this we can learn a great deal about how God moves in our own lives. Um, And in order for us to do this, let's see how God has moved in the book of Ruth, especially in two ways. Now, the first way is behind the scenes, so to speak. We see things occurring, which the narrator almost gives us a wink, like, yeah, this is happening by chance, wink. Um... Yet we are aware that the narrator does not really attribute these things to chance. These kinds of excessive chance encounters simply do not happen in the book of Ruth. Instead, we are to see that these excessive chance encounters really means the providence of God. A good example of this is found in Ruth 2, 3-4, which says, So she went out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the field, to part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. So we see it in two ways. The first is with Ruth, who just so happens to arrive in Boaz's field. Then we have it with Boaz, who just so happens to come from Bethlehem to the field while she's there. We see it as chance. It's not chance. It's providence. Um, And that's what we see. In this instance, we see providence, the providence of God coming into play. It is not that Ruth and Boaz happened to come to the same place at the same time by chance. God is purposefully bringing these two together for the ultimate conclusion of the entire story. It is very subtle, but it's there. Yet there's another way which God's providence is displayed. This occurs in two locations. The first is Ruth 1.6, which says, Then she arose with her daughter-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. The second is in the final chapter, 4.13, which says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went to her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Now we see this kind of providence is not so subtle, is it? In this, we see God's providence displayed rather obviously through the ending of the famine in chapter 1 and through Ruth conceiving Boaz in chapter 4. In both cases, Baron's end, since the land which was once in famine now had food, and Ruth, who was once barren unable to conceive, now can conceive. So what can we gain from this? I suppose we can consider that the providence of God 
will not always be very blatant. That God is providential not only in the big things, but also in the almost mundane things of everyday life. This makes me think of Carissa and I. It is a big thing for us to meet, but our meeting itself was rather a minuscule thing in the whole process. We met at a class at Eastern. It's it's as simple as that in Spanish class. What became of something so small, however, is our marriage, which is not something that is small at all. It also helps us remember that the providence of God has a beginning and an end. What I mean is we often have a belief that God plans the beginning and the ends of things. The truth is, though, that God's providence comes into being not only in the beginning, not only in the ends, but also in the means, in the middle of the beginning and the end. This should give us all great encouragement to face the days ahead. We can know that the providence of God will be with us in our daily lives, in our everyday occurrences, as well as in the great moments of our lives. The providence of God reminds us that he is in control, that he is indeed king of all. We can rest assured in him, trusting in him to lead us all the way. Now this leads us to our second final application point, and that's Hesed. The next theme that we can think of involves Hesed. In the book of Ruth, the concept of Hesed is found in almost every chapter. Oftentimes, as we have seen it, it is directed at Ruth as the definition of something that she has done. The acts of Hesed are of such that in the ancient context, it is deserving of receiving something back, usually Hesed itself. It's with these things in mind that we turn our attention to Hesed. Hesed is a term which describes a multitude of things. Most translations will simply translate it as love or loving kindness, but as we have seen in the past in the book of Ruth, its meaning is so much broader than this, and because of that, it's hard to translate. Because of this, some commentators and scholars go so, as so far as to say it represents all of the attributes of God that he displays for his people. This includes, but it is not limited to, his love, his kindness, his mercy, his grace, his faithfulness. It's all of these things. That's what Hesed means, all of them. It is because of this that Hesed is considered the greatest ethic then in ancient Israel. This is the interesting thing to consider about it, that we are able to display Hesed toward one another. It makes us think how Hesed originates with God himself. He is the one who gives his hesed to his covenant people. And yet it does not end there. Instead, his covenant people also displayed hesed toward one another and even toward God himself. The takeaway from this in the book of Ruth is to emulate those who have shown so much hesed. Three particular characters or persons come to mind. The first is Ruth herself. When she leaves her family and her homeland behind in order to follow Naomi, this is considered the highest act of Hesed. Despite not knowing what will happen in the future, Ruth willingly follows Naomi into that unforeseen future. The covenant which she makes with Naomi is worth repeating. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. Where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And that's from Ruth one sixteen through 17 Despite Naomi's age, and the likelihood of facing persecution because she was a Moabite, Ruth stays 
with Naomi, and in doing so displays the highest ethic of Hesed. Now the second person to display Hesed is Boaz. He does this in a multitude of ways. The first is in chapter 2, when he gives Ruth special allowances while working in his fields. The second place is in the final chapter, when he fulfills his promise to marry Ruth, to redeem Naomi, and redeem the line of Elimelech. In these ways, we can see the acts of Hesed occur. Now, the third person is God himself. He shows Hesed to the people when he ends the famine in chapter 1. He shows Hesed through his providence in chapter 2, through the plan in chapter 3, especially the response of Boaz to the plan in chapter 3, and finally, with how the events conclude in chapter 4. His acts of providence end up displaying his Hesed to those in the book. So when we consider these things, we remember that we are called to love one another, to show each other this covenantal hesed. We are all bound together if we are in Christ. We are all bound together by the grace of God as a community of believers. We make it evident that we are part of this community, that we belong to Christ when we love one another. This is exactly what Christ told us. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Be encouraged, then, to emulate examples of this love, this hesed. When we read about Ruth and Boaz, seek to imitate their relationships with each other. Seek to encourage one another um, in regards to this love, this hesed, and praise God who first showed us his own hesed, which allows us to display our hesed toward one another. Now the third, final application point. Along with these themes of providence and hesed, we come to a very deep understanding of the person of God. We know of the eternality of God. In Ruth, we see the evidence of the God who is above all the created order, showing himself to be truly the king of all. But along with this, We also see another attribute of God, and that is his personal nature. He is not only a God who is infinite, but also a God who is imminent. What causes God to divinely provide for us in our times of need? What causes God to place the steps we take? What causes God to not only plan the ends, but the means? There are two great reasons for this. The first is to bring himself glory. We praise God when we see all things come to the conclusion which God had planned. We glorify God when we consider all the steps Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz needed to walk in order for the story to come to its conclusion. This is the great reason, the reason above all reasons, again, his own glory. Yet, God could do all these things simply in his infiniteness. Instead, though, We see something else of God in this, and that is his personal personal nature. He is not a God who stands above the cosmos without any regard to us. He does not simply do without thinking of his own people. If this was the case, then there would be no hesed to give us, because he would be completely disconnected from us. Instead, there is hesed which he gives. There is a covenant which is given. There are steps he has planned for us to walk, but we notice these steps do not erase our personal identity. We think of Ruth and Boaz in particular. When Ruth and Boaz in chapter 3 meet at the threshing floor, 
We see both of them being personal in their conversation. God uses that which is personal to bring about his providential will because he himself is a personal God. So when we consider God in the book of Ruth, I don't think that we can see a God who is completely deist in any way. He seems to be involved rather intimately with the events that are taking place. And if it is the case in Ruth, with these normal individuals in their normal lives, then we should acknowledge it in our own lives as well. God is just as evident here with us as he was with Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. Not only this, but he also uses us in our own personalities and our own traits and attributes for his glory to bring about his means. This is a further example of the personal God. By using us in our personal narratives, he shows he cares about each of us as unique individuals who have the image of God imprinted onto us. This is a great encouragement to us. If God were a God who were completely infinite, it would be wonderful. But it would also be lacking. We need a God who knows us personally, and a God who we can know personally through his attributes. Thankfully, this is the God we know. This is the God who exists. He does not only exist, but he also speaks to us, showing us who he is, displaying his attributes to us, calling us into his great, great love. Now, the fourth one is redemption. This is perhaps the most significant theme within the book of Ruth, and that is redemption. The necessity for redemption occurs early in the book. Consider that we find it in, consider what we find in chapter 1. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. Um, these took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Kilian died. So that, the woman, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Right away, in the book of Ruth, we learn the need for the women to be redeemed. Not only the women, but also when we consider the barren Ruth and Orpah, we see a need for Elimelech and his line to be redeemed as well. This will take up the majority of the focus of the book when it comes to redemption. How will the women be redeemed? How will Elimelech's line be redeemed? Ultimately, the answer is redemption would come by God through Boaz and Obed. The book theme, then, could be one of redemption. In the end, we find Ruth being redeemed by Boaz through marriage. We learn of Naomi being redeemed from her sorrow through the birth of Obed. We learn of the redemption of the family line of Elimelech through both Boaz and Obed. Yet as we saw in chapter 1, there was no human way for all of these events to come on their own. Therefore, when Naomi recognizes it is humanly impossible for her situation to change in chapter 1, we can glorify God in chapter 4 for doing what only he could do, which was the impossible. How does this apply with us? Well, it applies in many ways. The first is to recognize God using individuals to bring about his own redemption. Boaz, for example, was a person who was a kinsman redeemer. He was able to bring his own kind of redemption to the situation. This is the same with us. We can, too, bring redemption for one another. The kinsman redeemer's role was for the clan, 
We can see an analogy in this with our own congregation. Our congregation is like a clan within a tribe. The clan is FBC Westfield, and the tribe is the church. Or if you want to take it a little bit further, FBC Westfield, our congregation is the, tri- is the clan, the tribe is the American Baptists, and then the nation as a whole is the church. I know that that's probably not the best analogy, but the point is, like the clans of old, we should seek to help each other through redemption. We can be used by God to bring redemption to those who are in need right here in our own congregation. Along with this sense of community, it reminds us that God can redeem even our life circumstances. For the husbands and wives who are having a difficult difficult time with conception, God can step in and provide a child. For those who have been greatly grieved, God can provide a way for the grieving to end and for peace to return to someone's life so that they no longer feel empty but full, just as was the case with Naomi. These are acts of redemption, redeeming us from these situations to bring us from valleys of sorrow to rivers of joy. Yet these acts of redemption are but a foretaste to the redemption which will take place not only for the line of Elimelech, but for the whole world. That through Elimelech, through Boaz and Ruth, there would come a descendant who could redeem all, all who, who, uh, who could redeem all who place their faith in him, um, and that is Jesus Christ. No matter what, we were at one time in the same state as those in this book. We were all barren, we were all lost in sorrow, and we were all in need of redemption. For we were dead in our sins, and because of this, we needed redemption in order to be made alive. This occurs through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is our great Redeemer. It should not surprise us that in the book of Ruth, it attributes the redemption story not to the individuals, but to God himself. When we consider the beginning of the book, when Naomi recognizes that it will be um, humanly impossible for the situation to turn around, this represents the state that we are in before our conversion. It is impossible for us to do anything in order to bring about our salvation. Thanks be to God that what is impossible for man is possible with God. Thanks be to God that he is the great redeemer of our entire lives and that it was foreordained that this redemption would take place. That this course of history is not haphazard, but ordered for the glory of God, for the coming of his son, Jesus Christ, to bring redemption for our sins, bring redemption from death to life. When we consider the redemptions found in Ruth, make certain to listen very carefully. They are foreshadowing the redemption found in Christ. They show us the personal God who led all things to a specific point in which we could attain his glory through his son, Jesus Christ. That he would provide the gospel of Christ, an act of salvation so safe for man and so just to God, should cause much rejoicing in us. Of all the things we could see in the book of Ruth, perhaps nothing is greater than the foreshadowing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I know all of you are thinking, this is about the part when he gets to see the actual gospel. False. <laughs> I wrote this final application two weeks ago. And I read it, and I was going over the PowerPoint two weeks ago, and I thought to myself, it doesn't fit. It won't fit. 
but it, it didn't belong. It felt wrong. So I decided, okay, I'm going to wait until the end of the book. So this is, this is that application I wrote a few weeks ago. It's a bit edited, but here we go. One final reflection. For this final thought, I thought it would be wise to re- revisit the theme we find with Naomi. In particular, when it comes to this congregation and the similarities between our congregation and the book of Ruth. I know I haven't hit on it much, but I was waiting for the right time to bring it up. And since this is the final sermon we will be having on the book of Ruth, it seems now it's going to be now or never. Now that we have finished the book of Ruth, I can't help but sense the providence of God in having us go through these pages together. As we've, gone, as we've been going through each verse, I'm struck at how similar the story of Ruth is with this congregation. And not only with this congregation, but I think many congregations who are similar to ours. What I mean is, I am not oblivious to the concerns of this con- that this congregation has when it comes to certain things. In particular, when it comes to the lack of youth within the congregation. I don't necessarily mean children, but more the younger generation which seems to be absent from a lot of congregations. I do not think that many congregations in this area are seeing much growth from that particular 18 to 30-something age group. I think that there are many congregations who are in this situation, not just here in Westfield, but really across the United States and probably in Europe too. So I notice when comments are made about the future. I notice when we look around, none of us are getting younger. Literally. It's impossible. But you're all getting more beautiful every day. (laughs) I'll tell you that. You're all handsome, wonderful. Generally, our congregation would be considered an older congregation. From Carissa and I, the age gap kind of jumps a bit, if you haven't noticed, which which obviously you have. Otherwise, I wouldn't be talking about this. It's when I think about this. And think about the observations made by many in the congregation concerning this reality. It makes me think of Naomi. It makes me think of how Naomi herself was in a state of, is this going to be the end? Um, I think this is a reality that every older congregation faces. After a hundred plus years, the majority of the older congregations are beginning to ask themselves, are we going to be the final members of this congregation? We started off full but we feel rather empty now. It, is, it, is, um, it becomes so easy to reflect on how every single member who comes to this place of worship every week has given so much, and it's getting to the point where many are wondering if they really have any more to give. That's how I think that this ties into Naomi. She was having that same feeling, the same kind of sorrow, being able to reflect on the past and think, whatever happened to those times? Like Naomi, I don't think anyone is looking at the younger generation and thinking that there's much hope there. Like Naomi, I think that the majority of us are coming to the conclusion that the only, thing, the only way things are going to change or turn around will be by the power of God. In other words, we acknowledge the only way it is possible is if God does the impossible which was a similar conclusion Naomi came to in chapter 1, as we saw. Thankfully, we know that God is completely, completely capable of doing the impossible. That is the point we find in the story of Ruth. We find it with Ruth's womb opening, and with the bitterness of Naomi being turned to joy because of the blessings of God. 
None of the joy we find in this story is possible only by human means. God himself must act in the story. What do we find? God does it. He acts within the story through individuals to bring about an ending which would otherwise be impossible. From this, we can come to the conclusion that our God is capable. He is able to bring in the younger generation, to convert them through the power of his word. He is able to cause growth within this congregation. He is able to change individuals' hearts and minds to desire him. So what should we do? I think that we should be like Boaz. We should simply be faithful to what God would have us do. When we read Ruth, try to imagine Boaz not doing the majority of the things he did. He could have swindled the nearer kinsman or found an illegal way to go about his business. Yet Boaz does not do this. He does what should be done in a worthy way. The same should be our reaction to difficult situations. When in doubt, be faithful. When not in doubt, be faithful. Where will this road of faith lead? Who knows? I can say this, though. When I see conservative congregations who love God, who love the scriptures, and seek to glorify God closing their doors, I do not have pity on that congregation. I have pity, I have sorrow, for the communities which these congregations were part of. Because when these kinds of congregations have their ministries come to an end, it is not judgment on the congregation, it is judgment on the communities. When God silences his prophets, it is not the prophets who are being judged, but the communities to whom the prophets were sent. So when I think of this congregation in 5, 10, 20, 50 years from now, I do not fear for it. I do not have anxiety over FBC Westfield. I believe if we maintain our positions, if we continue to be faithful, then regardless of the circumstances, God is glorified. If God turns the hearts of this community around, praise God. If not, then let's remain faithful until God decides to close the doors and after. It is his ministry, and our response to him for his ministry is, do as you please. We serve and honor you. If we consider it from this perspective, then you know what? The future doesn't look so bleak. When we consider it from the perspective of what we've learned from Ruth, then maybe things aren't so dark and gloomy. If God can do the miraculous, if he can do what no human can do, then it is entirely possible for us to have a Naomi ending. And for this, we should have a continued hope. Not necessarily just a hope that our numbers would grow, but more importantly, that God would bring revival to this community, that he would pour out his spirit upon this people, that the gospel would regenerate every heart of every individual here in Westfield and throughout Tioga County. To this we have our hope, that though it may be impossible, we serve the God who does the impossible. Regardless though of what happens, our call is not to cater to the lost. Our responsibility is not to sugarcoat the truth of human darkness. Instead, our responsibility is to always serve, honor, and be faithful to God Most High. So continue to live with this hope, and never let your joy be stripped from you, because we are a congregation who will serve the Lord. Like Joshua, 
We will proclaim that this house will serve the Lord, even if the whole world should turn its back on God. We will not. We will reflect the light of Christ into the darkness, regardless of the direction God leads this congregation. And in all things, we will give thanks, because we know to be faithful to God, that to be faithful to God is to glorify God, and to glorify God as individuals and as a congregation is our greatest blessing, knowing that it is in Him we find our greatest joy. This, of course, causes us to consider the gospel. In all of these things, the gospel is made manifest, whether it be in the providential call of God to our lives, His hesed toward us, or the redemption found in Ruth, which foreshadows the redemption of Christ. In all of these things, we see the gospel. This gospel begins with our origins. God created all things by the power of his word. Last of all, he created humanity to bear his image. Because God is a God of love, reason, he knows, can be known, has personhood, and displays hesed, we can as well. It is here we find all dignity, sanctity, and worth to human life. Yet like God, we are also able to choose. We could either choose to follow God in obedience in life, or choose to follow in disobedience in sin and in death. We chose the latter and have continued to make that choice ever since. It is because of this we have broken relationships with God, ourselves, each other, and the world. It is because of our sin we have a great moral guilt before our God. Not a feeling of guilt, but true guilt before a righteous God. God did not leave us in this state forever. Instead, he sent his light and his word into the darkness, and that is his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, rose again in time, space, history, and flesh. It is through him we find our broken relationships begin to be reconciled. It is through him we find redemption from our sins. His blood, we are made guiltless before God. His victory in life over death becomes our victory in life and over death. All that is required of us obedience in two things. The first is repentance. We are to turn away from sinful lifestyles and turn toward God. We are to live according to the scriptures, walking in step with the Holy Spirit. In this we bear good fruit in how we live for the glory of God. The second is faith in Christ. We are to recognize our total dependence upon the Son of God for our salvation. It is not what we do which saves us from judgment, but what Christ has done. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the scriptures alone, for the glory of God alone. For those who are disobedient in these things, there is only condemnation. They will face judgment for their grievous sins against God. Apart from Christ, there is no redemption, and even their greatest deeds become as filthy rags. Because of this, they will experience the judgment of God for their sins. Yet for those who are obedient, there is no longer condemnation. Instead, they become children of God, living according to his word. They become co-heirs of eternal kingdom, where they will experience the love and peace of God forevermore. As we conclude the book of Ruth, I hope that we find peace and encouragement for our lives. I hope that in the time spent studying the lives of Naomi, of Ruth, and Boaz, we were able to see the grace of God and see how the story foreshadows the coming of Christ. In all of these things, I hope we all see the providence of God in our own lives and in the lives of others around us, and that we would praise God for his hand, which leads us 
to his amazing grace. Amen. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your grace, for your mercy, for your love. In other words, we thank you for your hesed. We thank you that you have bestowed us with such an innumerable, countless, worthy, unworthy gift as your Son, Jesus Christ, and that we are a people who belong to you now through him. Lord, you are the God who is able to do the impossible. We know that because we have experienced the impossible in our lives when you have given us your spirit. So, Lord, we ask you to do the impossible again. We ask you to move here in this congregation. But we also ask you to move outside of our congregation to those around us, to call people to you. Because you are worthy of being praised, not just by the people here, but by every single person on this planet. So, Lord, be glorified. Let your light shine in the darkness. And let all the darkness flee from your presence. We thank you for all that you have done and for all that you continue to do. In your Son's name, amen. Please rise as we sing our final hymn.